Well, hello, everyone. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Thank you so much for being here this morning. My name is Melvin Gaines. We're going to go ahead and get started with some music while we allow people to get settled in uh, both here at church and while you allow yourself to get a cup of coffee and join us. Jonathan McReynolds is singing the song God is Good, the live version of the song. So here he comes right now. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Appreciate you being here. Teaches us all the time about his goodness. Good morning, Mr. Gaines and Delia. Glad to see you this morning. Good morning, Brother Roscoe. Appreciate you being here. Everybody can hear me. I didn't put my mic on again. So that was on me. Yeah. Okay. McReynolds, God is Good, live. That was the presentation of that song, and we appreciate you once again being here. Good morning, Ronnie. Thanks for joining us as well. Um, we have a couple of announcements to make this morning, just uh, very brief. Uh, wanted to make sure we got those in and before we got into Sunday school. First, uh, Pastor Gus is presenting the message today, and he will be uh, here in church with us uh, presenting the message and we invite you to stay tuned online for those of you who are uh, not coming to the church in Akron uh, for our live broadcast online as well too and we're working on that and getting that set up uh, join us for that and today is also a communion Sunday because it's the first Sunday so we want to make sure that uh, all of you are aware of that and be prepared for that communion Sunday this morning we also have a, um, hey, Jackie, good morning. We also want you to remember, please remember your tithes and offerings by giving by worship, worship and giving. We appreciate you uh, giving consideration and prayer to that. Um, 
we have, of course, a, a number of things that are going on with our church where we want to make sure we're taking care of business uh, in-house here. So please keep that in mind as you pray about uh, giving through uh, your worship giving. Um, if you are mailing your tithes or offerings, please do so to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. And we appreciate the consideration once again for that. And with that in mind, we actually can get into Sunday school. We've got um, a very key part of John chapter 11 that we're going to be covering today. It's John chapter 11, verses 28 through 44. We're actually going to be covering the uh, section in John chapter 11. We were kind of going a little piece by piece as far as dialogue was concerned. We were going with uh, the dialogue with Martha and Jesus last week. We covered that in the prior verses, and now we're going to uh, see Mary injected into this as well, too. And then uh, Jesus... Uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, which is the section that we're going to be covering today. And I want to talk about that because I want everyone to recognize the importance of what Jesus is doing here and actually showing himself some very key things that we need to pay attention to if we are still having questions about whether or not Jesus was resurrected and all that. Um, we can discuss this and, and look at this more closely and see that there is some symbolism in this. And by all accounts that I've read in Scripture, this is probably the last visible public uh, miracle that Jesus performed uh, before he went to the cross. So I think that that's also important for us to see as well, too. There was a basically a culmination. This was a culmination of his ministry on earth and the evidence that he has uh, to reflect that he is indeed the Messiah, and he was bringing people uh, to himself. So we will look at this more closely as we go and read through these passages, but just want to make sure that we're also remembering in prayer members of our church who uh, have uh, are still scuffling and still out uh, recovering. So as we pray and as we look to pray, uh, let's keep those individuals in mind. I'll mention... Um, one or two of them, but you know who those individuals are that we're referring to. But we appreciate you being here this morning. We appreciate you getting into the mindset now of seeing how the Lord is going to speak to you as we go through these passages. And let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer and get started. Father, thank you again for all that you have done. And you do truly show us that you are a good God. We know that we call you good because you are good and because we sometimes have to look beyond our present circumstances to recognize your goodness. Life is far from perfect and the circumstances in life are far from perfect. But Lord, we pray right now that you will just uh, be with us as we look to your word. And Lord, we ask that you also look after other members uh, of our church, and even more than that, uh, the people that we know that are near and dear to us, uh, like Miss Laura, we pray for her that you will continue to be with her as she goes through her recovery. We are thankful to hear about Miss um, Ina, who is at home now and resting after coming out of the hospital. We give you praise for that. Lord, I pray for my uncle uh, Winford that you indeed now will just minister to him and remain close to him as he goes through a situation where he's moving into hospice. And Lord, we pray that you'll just have him experience nothing but your peace through this whole process. I thank you, Lord, for how you are indeed moving to and fro and all about in our lives where you are showing yourselves as being a good God. We thank you, Lord, for peace. We thank you, Lord, now for greater understanding, greater wisdom coming from your word. And we give you praise and thanks in all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Yeah. All right, everybody, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to John chapter 11. We're looking at verses 28 through 44. John chapter 11, 28 through 44. And this is one of those crucial events um, in Jerusalem, when Jesus is 
doing the work that he has been called to do by the Lord. Amen. He is doing exactly what uh, the Lord would have him to do. And one thing we're going to pick up on as we look at Jesus and look at um, the circumstances surrounding the events in this passage, we're going to look at, indeed, we, we talk about a God of emotion. God, God has given us emotions to process things at times. And, and he is a God of emotion. He created us this way. And Jesus is going to demonstrate emotion within this particular um, passage. And I want to point something out, too, about this emotion as we go. Uh, but we'll, let's, let's go ahead and read the passage first. John chapter 11, verse 28. And again, we're picking up after um, Jesus had the conversation with Martha, and Martha had made the declaration about Jesus truly being the Messiah, the one who was sent from God. So she has greater understanding and has matured in her faith to recognize who Jesus truly is. And remember, this is a friendship that Jesus, Mary, Martha all have, and Lazarus, of course. And so there, there's a closeness there, and we recognize that. But let's go further here and start with verse 28. Reading from the New Living Translation, please follow along in your version. Verse 28, then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. Verse 31, when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Verse 34 where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Verse 36, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Verse 37, but some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Verse 41, so they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, Thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Okay, that's verses 28 through 44 of John chapter 11. Now, what do we want to look at here in this passage? Because most of us have read this account in the past, and we know about Lazarus coming out of the grave. And, and notice how it had to be uh, four days, not three. Uh, it had to be at a point where we know that through any sort of medical intervention or something like that, that someone just couldn't come back to life. He literally would have to be dead, and, and of course, the, there would have to be decay taking place at that point after four days. So that's significant. And remember, we have a large audience of people looking at this. Uh, they have all gathered around from different parts of Jerusalem. We're talking about a prominent family, uh, people who are well-known in the community, and they all came out to see this thing that was taking place. They all came out to mourn. But let's go back to the passage and look once again about how we're looking at, as we do the, let's just do the initial part, pardon me. Verse 28, then she returned, she being Martha, returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here 
and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. It's a very deliberate thing that he's outside. He's not right there because people keep asking questions or keep making statements like what Mary is going to make here, too. Um, Verse 31, when the people were at the house, were consoling Mary, saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. Heavy duty mourning taking place, everyone. Still a lot of mourning. It's only been four days since Lazarus passed on. So they followed her there. Now look at verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. Pretty much exactly the same thing that Martha had said. And many people who had already seen Jesus's miracles, they had already seen the very things that he had been doing before. And they truly believed that if Jesus was present, was right there, then Lazarus would have lived. But what we have to keep in mind here, and I want you to always keep this in mind, and even though we might look at the fact that Jesus, being a human being, had restrictions, he could only walk so far, he could only do so many things, but let me ask you a question. Does Jesus have to be present for him to perform miracles in another place? No, he's not limited. He's not limited by space, and we know he's not limited by time for sure, right? Uh, When the man who came to Jesus was praying earnestly and asking for healing of his daughter who was at home, um, Jesus, because he believed that this man had such faith and believed that Jesus could heal her, he did so. But he didn't go to where she was. He healed her from where he was standing She was well when the man went back home. So we recognize that sometimes we try to put expectations on what Jesus can do when Jesus is not limited by these things. And even in Jesus's human state, he still was not limited. He did this deliberately, everyone, to make sure that everyone could see that he had the power to bring someone back from the dead. And that's something we have to recognize here. Now, let's look at verse 33, because I want you to understand that this is where we get to the emotional aspect of what Jesus was doing. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Now, let's let's stop there for a moment. Why is he weeping? Why is he upset? He's upset because of what death does to not those who have already passed on, but to those who are left behind. The emotional turmoil that takes place. All of us have been to funerals. All of us have been to Uh, Places where, you know, we've had to visit cemeteries. You go to a cemetery and you're going to go there on Memorial Day, for example, to clean the headstone of those who have passed on. And we see people who are there, uh, different families gathering together, and they're still exercising a mourning for that person who's no longer here. The person who's no longer here is not feeling any of that. It's the families that are left behind. And we have a God who is a very emotional God who recognizes the turmoil that people go through when someone is lost. And I don't know if it's ever been a matter of sensitivity for most of us, but when I kept reading this passage, I was wondering, why was Jesus weeping? And then I realized he's weeping at the people who are crying right then and there. Who are going through what they're what they're dealing with and the expectation that, you know, the thing about death, it's a it's a powerful thing. Death has very grim power. Death honestly entered the world with man's sin. 
when mankind sinned, that's when death became a factor for the human race. And this was all part of what Satan was putting forth. Satan deceived Adam and Eve to the point where they went and did what exactly what God had told them not to do. And therefore, because they committed that sin, their eyes were opened. They recognized that now they were subject to understanding what evil was as well as good. And therefore, death had taken place. It was going to take place with them and for every person that followed Adam and Eve. And, of course, that's something that God wasn't pleased about. It was something that he knew would happen, of course. But that doesn't change the fact that it doesn't have an emotional impact. We know that every one of us is appointed to die at some point. We know that every one of us is going to go through this experience. But it's not so much the experience that we will go through. It's the experience for those who have left behind, we leave behind, that will have to cope with what is going on. But that emotion has a value. The value in that emotion that's being expressed is that people start to come to grips with what life really is about sometimes. And some people, you know, it's, it's probably a good idea every time we go to a funeral from now on, if the pastor or whoever it is who's presiding over the funeral does a gospel message in the midst of that funeral and make sure that the gospel of Jesus is declared at that moment. When you're at your lowest point, when you recognize that you need Jesus in your life, that's the time to give the message. doesn't mean that everybody is going to, who needs to hear it is going to respond right then, but they need to hear the gospel message. They need to hear the truth about who Jesus is. And the fact of the matter is, is that this event taking place here, where Jesus is showing us emotion, it's important for us to see the type of God that we serve. When God calls himself a jealous God, when God expresses, these are emotions. These are things that he's expressing to us. He's trying to show us his character. But we want to make sure that we recognize, too, that the emotion that Jesus is expressing, it's emotion that's under control. You know, sometimes we use the term, well, you're so emotional. Some people are so emotional. There are a lot of people who are emotional, but they're not under control with their emotions. Jesus is always under control with his emotions. Always. He doesn't he didn't like what was happening here, but he wasn't. Um, I'm trying not to use a, a pejorative term here. He wasn't losing his mind. And we have to understand that we. Kind of should model this when we talk about being emotional. You know, we know people sometimes get emotional and they just totally lose it. I, I get that and I understand that. But there comes a point where you have to pull it together and you have to just say, you know what? Um, what has happened has happened and now focus on the Lord and focus on him in the midst of that. You know, some might disagree with me on that. I'm just going to tell it like it is. I think there comes a point where you have to recognize that it's okay to be emotional about certain things. And it's okay if you disagree. I, I don't, those of you online as well too, but I think there comes a point where you have to come back and recognize that God is in control of everything. God is in control of this very circumstance here that we're reading about. This is all very deliberate. There is an audience of people who's going to be gathering. Go back to verse 37. I want you to see something here, too. But some said this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? The testimony was being made right then and there about how they saw Jesus heal the blind man. They saw how Jesus healed the blind man from birth. He was blind from birth, and they recognized that, and they remember that. Well, if he could do that, surely he can heal. He could have kept Lazarus from dying if he was present. Now, keep in mind, he healed the blind man 
He was present there. And although it really had to be an act of obedience where the blind man went and washed his eyes. Because remember, he had left Jesus at that point after he had had the the cake of mud put over his eyes. He had to go and be obedient to the Lord. Jesus wasn't standing right there. He was being obedient to what Jesus had told him. But they recognized that Jesus indeed was responsible for the healing of the blind man from birth. So a lot of emotions are being expressed here. A lot of things are being expressed by the people. And I think it's comforting us to recognize, too, that many of the Romans, the Greeks, worshipped gods with no emotion. They worshipped gods of stone. They worshipped these things that didn't move. They were like statues, right? Well, there's no emotion coming from a statue. So now we have a very distinct difference about the God that we serve and worship versus what other people will do and worship God. And by the way, uh, us human beings here on this earth today, we worship gods that are uh, inanimate as well, too. What kind of gods am I talking about? Um, Money, cars, physical things, things that they don't have emotions But we worship them, too. In our flesh, we recognize that those things are more important in our lives, those of us who do that worshiping. And we have to now come back to have an attitude like, well, God blessed me with this car. God blessed me with this mode of transportation. Because, you know, I wouldn't have it without his giving it to me. We have a different perspective on what God has done in our lives. And I think that that's important for us to see. But now we're seeing rather than these Greek gods and gods that are, have no emotion, no messy involvement with humans. Our God is involved when we are happy, when we're sick, and when we grieve, when we're mourning, when we're hurting He is there. He's present. He is there with us. We serve a God who does have very deep emotion. But it's always emotion under control. He understands who we are. He understands what we're all about. He knows the heart of every person. So I'm very thankful that we have a God who's expressed himself this way. And of course, okay, I'm still on. I hope you're still with me there. I just saw a brief moment there where it didn't work out. But we understand that God is a God who truly is a God who loves us for who we are and recognizes who we are. He's an emotional God. He cares. And you know what? Do we try to hide stuff from God? Do we try to hide things from God? Do you think that God doesn't know what's up with you? Why bother? He's fully involved. And and we will try to hide stuff. It's like, how are you hiding? You know, that's, that's one of the most interesting things, right? You, you 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 go into a closet. You think uh, people can still know you're in a closet somewhere. You're you're, in, you're hiding like you're playing hide and go seek, right? Well, can you really hide from God? Of course not. He knows all about you. He cares about you. Cast your cares upon Him. He cares about you. So we want to recognize that very issue. Death, very powerful thing, a very difficult thing to reckon with. And we have death in our lives. We're surrounded by it at times. But we always want to recognize that God takes this matter seriously. And he indeed can grieve with you when you're grieving. 
I think that's why we always talk about how God is always with us. He is truly with us. He's with us when we're going through these ups and downs in life. Because we all go through them. We all go through situations and circumstances. Um, It's hard to hear the news, for example, when you know somebody in your family is going to go into hospice. Because you know that there's not much more time left for that person. So you're praying for what? Peace. You're praying for comfort. You're praying for the family. My uncle, he does know the Lord. So I'm, we have the comfort of knowing that he knows the Lord. And that is comforting. Because he's going to be just fine where he's going. But it still doesn't change the fact that he's, you know, his life is coming to an end eventually. And so we have a moment where you just kind of reflect upon those things. And Jesus knows exactly where you're coming from. And he is with you with that. Okay, let's continue in the reading. Verse 38. Back to John 11, verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. And so what we want to see here about this tomb, tombs were usually caves carved in the limestone rock of a hillside. Uh, that's, you know, today we do, we do the underground thing, right? We dig graves and put people in the ground. Well, back then, they were above ground, and they were usually carved into the rock of a hillside. And the tomb was often large enough for people to walk inside. And we're going to see that, of course, when we look at when Jesus died, and he was in basically a, a rock that was hewn out, and there was a stone rolled in front of it. And the same thing happened here. In fact, you could put several bodies in one tomb. When you go to a uh, a grave a graveyard, well, let's see, you know, the National Cemetery, the National Military Cemetery, uh, they have the above ground tombs as well as the ones below. If you go to a certain area, and they could put more than one person in those. So after burial, a large stone was rolled across the entrance to the tomb. And so that's what Jesus was encountered. A stone was rolled across the entrance. Let's go to verse 39. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. Notice how we're emphasizing the four days. The smell will be terrible. In other versions of the, might use the word stink. Um, There's all different versions in in Scripture that will use that. But... When you smell decay, stench, yes, stench, decay is a very, very horrible smell. It's an unmistakable smell. It's, not, it's one of those things where, you know, you know when you smell bad food, you know that that has a bad smell to it too. But the smell of a dead body or smell, anybody who's decaying, that's a horrible smell. And every now and then when I was um, delivering flowers at the funeral home, this was in another lifetime, Wink. Uh, a long time ago, <laughs> uh, I would deliver uh, flowers, and every now and you go to a funeral home, and you could you could tell the smell of decay. Uh, this was before the bodies were embalmed and all that, right? So it was it was something that I experienced as well. You don't want to do it. You don't want to experience it if you don't have to. But every now and then, you just run into it. Yeah, I, I, we, we specialize in delivering funeral flowers. So funeral homes were a common occurrence. And this was when I was younger. This was when I was about 17, 18, 19 years old uh, going through that. But it's an unmistakable smell. So verse 40. Now, I want you to see this is once again a challenge to Martha. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? This is all about God's glory. Everything that is taking place here, this is the culmination of Jesus' ministry on earth, the last miracle before he goes to the cross. 
he is culminating with and saying, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Well, that's for all of us. Not just Martha. Because there are things that are going to happen in the future where we're going to see God's glory. But it requires us to do what? Believe. Believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Believe that he is going to be the one who is the caretaker of our very souls, our very lives, our very existence. He is telling us and reminding us that you're going to see the glory of God if you just believe. And even though death is imminent, and even Jesus' death is imminent here, he also said that he was going to return after three days. And of course, when the disciples heard this, they didn't understand that. You know why? Because how often do people come back from the dead on their own? How about only once come on, on their own? Now, we do want to point out something that's important to look at here, that Jesus did raise other people from the dead. Uh, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 9, just as a reminder that this is something that is in Jesus' very character. He is showing people he has the power over death. He has the power over death, and he is demonstrating this with the different miracles that he performs. Matthew chapter 9 Get there, verses, let's see if I can get through this, 18 through 26, we've got time. Matthew 9, verses 18 through 26. Okay, so verse 18, Matthew 9. This is the Christian Standard Bible Version. As he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him saying, My daughter just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. This is faith, everybody. They've seen what Jesus can do and they believe he can restore people. Verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter. He said, your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl got up. Then news of this spread throughout that whole area. Now, keep in mind, why were they laughing? Why were those people laughing at him? The girl was dead. The girl was dead already. They knew she was dead. That's why they were lamenting. They were mourning. But Jesus made those people go away. You know why? Because they didn't believe. The evidence of the healing was for the immediate people there, the family and whatever. And so... But word got out. This girl's alive. And there's other areas of evidence about healing. Uh, Let's see here. A widow's son. Go to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. That account of Jairus' daughter was also in Luke as well, too. And also in Mark. But let's go to Luke 7, though, to look at the widow's son. Luke 7, verses 11 through 15. A different account. Luke 7, 11 through 15. The heading in my Bible says, A widow's son raised to life. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples in a large crowd were traveling with them with him just as he neared the gate of the town a dead man was being carried out he was his mother's only son and she was a widow a large crowd from the town was also with her when the lord saw her he had compassion on her and said don't weep 
Then he came up and touched the open coffin. And the pallbearers stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God. Glorified God. Saying a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. Emmanuel, God with us. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. So Jesus's reputation was being built as one who could do anything, including restore people from death. So this miracle that's going to take place with Lazarus, which we haven't even gotten to yet in our reading, but we see that he already has a track record of being this Messiah, Emmanuel. And God is being glorified through the acts and the obedience of Jesus Christ. He is being obedient to the Father. And we're going to see this as we read further. Look at this. Go back to John 11, verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven. Now listen very carefully. Looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Now, understand something. Lazarus died four days ago. And Jesus already knew that he was going to be bringing Lazarus from the grave. But not one day out, not two days out, not three days out, but four days out. Making the ultimate statement of having the power over death. Father, thank you for hearing me. Hearing me when? I'm going to challenge you to think that he's mentioning this in the present and in the past tense. He had been praying already to God about this event. Because he knew it was coming. Hearing me, but he says, you always hear me. In verse 42, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So that they will believe you sent me. He's doing it to show people that this was something that was already handled by God. It was already handled. It's a done deal. He knew it was a done deal. He was speaking in the terms where he already had prayed to God about it. Sought God about it and God heard him. But now he's telling us this for the sake of the witnesses, the people who are present, all the people who had come from Jerusalem to this area, all the people who had come out to see this family and the mourning that took place, all of those who were gathered and present, those who may have been skeptical would now no longer be skeptical about who Jesus was. And we need to see this. We need to see that Jesus and the Father, of course, are one. But we also need to see that even though we say that Jesus and the Father are one, there's still this communication going on between him and the Father. He's giving information for people to know who he is. Then verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet in bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Just as he had been laid to rest, wrapped. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. What a Wonderful, amazing thing to witness. And what he wants people to understand here is that he has the power over death. We need to see that and now correlate this with when he went to the cross. He has the power over death. God has the power to restore. He has the power over death. And that's to demonstrate what? God's glory. Do you realize that all of us are alive for one purpose? 
one ultimate purpose. You know what that purpose is? To glorify God. That's why we're here. To glorify God. The actions that Jesus took here were saying, ultimately, it's to glorify God. It's to give him the glory. He is the one that gets the glory. And it's important for us to recognize this as we look at how Lazarus was restored back to his old body. The body that he went into the grave with, he, it was restored. So any decay that had taken place was eliminated. He was back to normal, back to where he was before, before he died. And we have to recognize that that's only something God can do. The grave clothes were still there. He was still covered. And he didn't come out in a glorified body like Jesus would. He just came out in his regular body. And he would live a little while longer and make himself visible to others. But people needed to see the power that Jesus had over death. And remember how everybody is saying, hey, Lord, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. Well, that's true. Sure. Because we know God can do anything. We sometimes question and wonder why things have to happen the way they do. We know God can do anything. But we also know God allows a lot of things. But sometimes he allows those things for what? At the end of the day, to recognize his glory. His glory. Lazarus was restored. Of course, when Jesus went to the cross and died and came back, he was raised in a glorified body. Now, what does that mean? Lazarus, in the body he was in, he couldn't just walk through the tomb or walk through stone. That stone had to be rolled away because he went back to his original body. Try as, you can try it a hundred times and walk into a wall and see what happens. A hundred times you're going to bounce off of that wall. Jesus in the tomb didn't need the stone rolled away. The stone was rolled away so that people could go in and look at where Jesus was. But he didn't need the stone rolled away. He was in a glorified body. He left the clothes that were wrapped around him in the tomb where he was laying. So that's a good thing to keep in mind as we get closer to that event, as we're reading in the book of John, looking at where were the clothes? They were left behind. And Jesus is in the glorified body. What does the glorified body do? Glorified body can walk through walls. The glorified body can walk through, come into a place. Just remember when he went to see the, uh, the disciples? Just walked into the room. Didn't need a door open. The door was locked. The disciples were afraid about what was happening. We have a, something to look forward to, everybody. A glorified body. You know, that is something to look forward to. We'll be, walk, we'll be in a glorified body and say, hey, I can walk through walls. Hey, I can go through doors without opening them. I don't want to get silly about this, but that's exactly what we can look forward to. Because there will become a time when we have a glorified body. Because God has promised us this. It's part of who, what we, we can live, look forward to as far as expectations. But let's not lose the importance here of looking at how we serve an emotional God who hates death. And it's comforting to know that God overcomes death. He has victory over death by what he did on the cross. And because he has victory over death, we have victory over death because we believe in him. 
That's the message to take away from this section. When we get into the lesson next week, we'll see the reactions of the people after they see that Lazarus has come forth from the grave. Seeing something that they had never, ever seen before. And recognizing that right in their midst was Emmanuel, God with us. Know that you have a God that you serve that knows how you're feeling. Knows what you're going through. Knows your struggles. Knows your difficulty. And we can say he weeps for you too because he showed himself as doing that very thing. He doesn't like seeing what death does to people. But he is with you nonetheless. He loves you. He cares about you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your teaching today. Thank you for showing us how you truly feel about what we go through. The difficulty that we experience when it comes to losing loved ones. And Lord, you show that you mourn with us as we mourn. We thank you, Lord, for being present in our lives through all circumstances. And we thank you, Lord, for understanding how we're feeling. Lord, we just pray now that you just continue to enrich us with your presence. Bless us and keep us as we go. Help us as we have those moments where we just don't understand everything that's happening. And let us experience your peace no matter what. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you, Lord, for your encouragement through your word. Bless us and keep us now, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church. Stay tuned online about 11 o'clock in this timeline for our live church version. Uh, when Pastor Gus speaks, we appreciate you being here. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you next time.